Okay, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our speaker this evening, Jack G. from Huntington Beach. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because I took my gum out of my mouth? I'll put it over here. Sorry. I know it looks bad. Gum on the table looks bad. Uh, I'm Jack, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, and I really have a bad ADD problem, and this thing keeps moving up and down. You know what I mean? It's like there's an echo against the wall, and then the mic moves. Like if you get shorter, it'll go. He's not doing it now. But anyway, <laughs> then this gets shorter. And like doing something like that to somebody that's got ADHD, I mean, that's bad. You know what I mean? Because now I'm listening to echo. <laughs> Because now I'm listening to the echo on the back wall to figure out what I just said. So, uh, that's, that's right. Get, get the kid up here and make fun of him. All right, anyway, uh, I love being sober, and I love being here, and thank you for having me. It's a very uncomfortable honor to be out here. Uh, <laughs> and it is because I'm not, you know, so, I, I, like I'm not so good in crowds. And my friends laugh because they go, what are you talking about? You're in crowds all the time, but I'm just, I'm awkward in crowds. Either I talk too fast, I'm too chatty, you know what I mean? And I have to keep telling people, am I talking too much? Do you want me to continue? Is this okay? You know, do you want me to be quiet or else I listen with too much intensity? You know, so it's like, so either way, and then I get out there and I think people are waving to me and I wave back and they're not waving to me. And then when they are waving to me, I don't wave because I think they're the people that I saw before because I don't wear glasses and I should. So it's, uh, <laughs> I like it so much better when my wife's here because I just hold on to her belt loop, you know what I mean? And then just, like, I just stand there like a child. And, uh, which is sad because I had one of my other ex-wives said, how can I even sleep with you? It's like sleeping with a kid. And, uh, which, yeah, that's what 25 years of sobriety does for you. But, uh, so, and then, and, but one thing, you know, about this music thing I was thinking about, and I, I want to talk, you know, because they talk about this, the music thing of, of AA. And uh, the cool thing about good songs is you don't need to know the words to sing along, which is nice. And, uh, and it's encouraged sometimes. Hey, don't know the words, sing along anyway. It doesn't matter. You're into it. And uh, because I've been to a lot of other countries, and I've sat in AA meetings, and I did not know the words but I was able to sing along. I was able to participate. I was able to understand what they said with no knowledge of their language whatsoever. I looked sad when they were sad. They were telling a sad story. I looked sad. <laughs> they were telling a happy story. I laughed. I got no idea what I was laughing about, man. But it felt good. And I'll tell you, I'm a book, I'm a book guy. And that's frightening. I'll tell you right now, the minute, if you're brand new in AA and you get next to somebody and they go, I'm a book guy, it's like back away, man. You know what I'm saying? That gets scary. Because I'm a book, book guy. Like, like I'm into it. And, uh, and I even do a, I do a big book study at my house every Monday night from 6 to 6.45. And I just shove that book up people's asses one line at a time, man. So it's like, you know, and it really gets, it's funny because people will go to the meeting and then they won't be there for two months. And then they'll come back and go, you've only moved one paragraph, man. It's like, yes, but this is an important paragraph that we're on. So, and it's fun to do. But, uh, 
But I'll tell you, but, but when I first got started into that, like when I first started getting really involved in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I got into it, I got into it, and then I started really getting into it. You know what I mean? Like, where did Bill take this from? You know, it's like, this was borrowed from the Oxford group. This was taken from Common Sense and Drink. Whatever. It's like I'm hunting all this stuff down, where it came from, where it came from, right? And just tearing it apart and old dictionaries and what do you mean by this and blah, 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 blah. And then I started going into meetings and judging you guys because you weren't doing it right. And it got scary, man. It was like, oh, I'd be mumbling during the meeting. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> You know, and, and God, I felt sorry for the new man sitting next to me. I'm going through the meeting mumbling the whole time, you know. And, and then after the mumbling, I got confrontational, right? Because we're talking about people's lives here, bro. You know, it got confrontational. And somebody would say something in the meeting that was way off, way off. And I'd come up to him and say, where'd you get that? And they'd look at me and say, I got it from my sponsor who got it from his sponsor. I go, well, then your grand sponsor's an idiot. <laughs> you know, it was ugly. It was ugly. And then it got to the point where it was Jack Grisham, party of one <laughs> at the meeting. Now, at the same time, I'm seeing a Jesuit brother. Because I, I didn't grow up in any, like, kind of religious background. I mean, I, I had some Baptist grandparents that shamed me pretty hard, but, but no real... Nothing real, you know, that I was involved in. And, uh, but I wanted to talk to somebody about God. I wanted to talk about God's stuff to people. And I don't know if you guys are aware of it, but we talk about God in here way different than they talk about it out there. Like even really strong religious people, we talk about God differently. They talk about God like God's up here and we're paying homage to God. We talk about God like, yeah, God and I just ran over to Taco Bell and got a couple of burgers. You know what I mean? It's, that, it's different, right? And, and when I first started wanting to talk to people about God, I'd see them. I'd, like, I'd see these guys, and they'd have a, at least my God at the time, they would have a Bible out, right? And I'd walk up and go, hey, we got the same dad. How are you doing? You know? And they'd shut the book, you know, and just like look away, you know? I mean, whatever. It's, it stopped them from talking with me, but... Uh, but the bottom line is, I wanted to talk about it with somebody. I wanted to ask questions. I wanted to find out, how did you believe? Did you struggle with faith? What was going on? And most of the guys I wanted to talk about were dead. I wanted to talk to them. They're already dead. And uh, Scott Redman had turned me on to Anthony DeMello. So I really got into listening to DeMello. But then he's dead. So I'm thinking, who can I talk to? So I actually contacted Anthony DeMello's people, who threw me up to some Jesuits in New York, who threw me out to a Jesuit down here in Southern California. So I started seeing this Jesuit brother. And we would go in and we'd just talk about God. That was it. He'd go, Jack, what are you studying? What's going on? And that's how those conversations started. Okay, now I'm tearing apart the big book. Hey, big book, I'm tearing that apart line by line. So I'd jump in and start tearing apart the New Testament line by line. Everything. And I finally come up to Brother Charlie one morning. I go, Charlie, I go, what do you think is the best translation of the New Testament? Because I'm thinking he's going to say, you know what, Jack, you really need to learn Aramaic on this one, you know, whatever. And I'm in. I'm in. I'm getting ready to get love and service in Aramaic tattooed across my back. I'm in, right? I get a bit intense at times. And uh, so I, I say, hey, hey, what is the best translation of that book? And I'm coming in hot, right? 
And Brother Charlie looks at me and he goes, man, he goes, it is such a shame that you're that hung up on the words. I go, what? I'm thinking he's going to say, Jack, I need you to study this scripture. He goes, you know what, man? He goes, I don't want to hear another word of scripture coming out of your mouth. Again. He goes, what I want you to do is I want you to go down to the beach. Because I live down by the beach and I take a walk in the morning. He goes, what I want you to do is I want you to go down to the beach and I want you to take a walk. And before you take that walk, I want you to ask God to walk with you. And I want you to be quiet. And I want you to listen. So that's what I did. I went and took the walk, asked God, come on, let's go. Started taking that walk. Through that listening came a realization. When we talk about meditation and Alcoholics Anonymous, a lot of it was from an early Christian connotation, which basically means contemplation. Not a complete emptiness, but to think about what we're involved in, the morning reading, the book, anything we read spiritually. How does it affect us? How are we involved with this? Contemplation. So in that walk, I started thinking, And what I realized I was doing, by tearing apart every line in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, by using that dictionary and going in and tearing it apart and where it came from, what I was basically doing was trying to control the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. If I could pin you down to a word or a phrase, then I controlled this program and anyone that came in contact with me about this deal. What I also realized, by tearing apart that other book, at the same time, what I was trying to do was control my God. If I could pin God down to a word, line, or phrase, then I controlled that power. I took another look at that big book that was so rigid and so hard, and took another look at it, and all of a sudden, all the rigidity had fallen away. We look at that third step prayer in the big book, and I love the third step prayer. I'm a big fan of it. If you're going to say it, you might want to know what you're saying. You know what I mean? It might be good to kind of get into it a little bit and find out what you're saying. And I love that third step prayer. And you know, we get our new people, we say, learn this prayer, say this prayer, learn it. Do you know what it says in the big book at the end of the third step prayer? The wording is optional. Optional. You can say anything you want. For a third step prayer. Some people's third step prayer is effort. I can't take this crap anymore. That is a very valid third step prayer. And in the 25 years I've been sober, I have actually seen more people stay sober on that prayer. When they come in and they say, I don't care what's going on in here. I can't do it anymore. I'm in. What do you want? I look at the fourth step in the big book. Wonderful step, lines and columns and rigid and laid out, blah, 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 blah. Do you know what it says before the four-step before the four-step columns? It says, we were usually as definite as this example. Usually. Sometimes we do other shit. Usually. Usually does not mean always. Usually. If you go back to the back of the book, There's a guy that does a four-step with Dr. Bob, and it's completely different than the four-step Bill did. Do you know how Bob did a four-step? He listened to these guys' inventory. He listened to their story, and then he took their inventory. Said, yeah, you're jealous, you're sarcastic, you're a loser. You know, whatever it is, you know. And he gave them their defects. 
And let me tell you something. I like it. I mean, if you're brand new and you want to do a four-step, go ahead. And it's a great example of willingness and follow lines and columns, and that's great. You want to do a real four-step? Give pencil and paper to anyone that knows you. And you have them fill it out. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, man, you will have a list of defects, the likes of which you have never seen before. <laughs> and if you even want to go further, give pencil and paper to your enemies and ask them what they think of you. Let me tell you something. I got, I got a lot of problems with the membership. And... Uh, you know, and Bill had problems with the membership, and it's okay to have problems with the membership. And I'll tell you, one of the problems that I have with us is we are unwilling at most times to look at what people outside of us think about us. Just for the fun of it, sometimes I'll get on the computer and I type in F-U-C-K-A-A -A and hit enter. <laughs> Why not? I want to see what they're thinking about us. I want to see why we failed. Why have we failed? Why are these people online saying that we have failed them? Why are you not willing to look at that? Why do you sit there and go, oh, they're sick, they're sick, that's why? No, I'm sorry, they're not all sick. Some of them have come in, dealt with us, and have negative experiences by the way we treated them. Let me tell you something. Do you know there's not one person on that internet that's upset about us because we could say you can believe or not believe however you want? Do you know that nobody complains about that? Do you know that no one on the internet complains that we take our inventories and admit our faults? Those guys admit they're assholes. I hate them. <laughs> Never. Do you know that nobody on that internet is upset with us because we pay our old bills? I hate those guys. One of those AAs owed me money and he showed up and paid it off. Never. They're upset with us when we step outside the traditions, when we try to be controlling, manipulative, when we want to come in and step in and run people's lives, when we want to supplant God, when we walk around saying, trust God, trust God, trust God, and we don't got enough trust in that same God to step the hell out of the way, when we're not willing to let a new man have his own experience here. That's what they're upset about. That's what they get mad at us for. Anyway, I went through that book. I, I am a little opinionated, too. I'll just uh, warn you that. And, uh, <laughs> however, the word sponsor does not appear in the big book, but the word respect for others' opinions does. So anyway, all right. So I went through that whole book, and everything in on that whole book, all the rigidity, everything fell away. It all fell away. All of a sudden, it wasn't, there wasn't any rules or lines or anything anymore. And at the end of the whole program, Bill sums up this whole experience in four simple lines. He says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to you and your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you have and join us. Very simple. Very simple. Dr. Bob boiled it down to two words, three words, love and service. Love and service. I got a great letter from Bill Wilson. So lucky that Bill wrote so many of these letters. I got a great letter that Bill wrote. and He said, I hope that Alcoholics Anonymous never becomes frozen or rigid in its ways of doing or thinking. 
that within the framework of Alcoholics Anonymous, the ways are apparently legion. Legion. Open-mindedness. Sometimes I wonder, you know, when they say that one line, when we're going through the promises in the book, and everyone says, oh, the promises are materialized. The promises. Has more will be revealed materialized? Think about that. You go in some of these meetings, and guys sit there and say, there's nothing new in AA. Everything's been said over and over again. How sad. If everything's been said over and over again since 1939, how sad is that? How sad is that? That more has not been revealed to us. Anyway, I'll tell you how I got here. I was living at my mother's. And, uh, <laughs> and it was, if it was up to my mother, I would still be living at my mother's house. Right now. The Al-Anon people never got one hand on my mom. The blood of the lamb was spray-painted on our front door, and the Al-Anons just drifted right on by. I had the kind of mom where I would go to jail, and when I got out of jail, she'd say, they're always picking on you, sweetheart. I'd be in the neighbor's yard, passed out with my pants down, any time, day or night. And if the neighbors had balls enough to come over and complain, my mother would say, leave him alone, he's an artist. <laughs> Rough. And, uh, and she hasn't... And she hasn't changed. Uh, still, I, I tell you a quick story. I've had a lot of women sponsors, you know, and uh, and I always tell these guys, you know, if you want to learn how to be a man, you're not going to learn how to be a man by just going to men's meetings. It's not going to happen for you, because I'm going to tell you that women have a whole other idea of what a man is than these men are. You know, you want to be a man, go to a woman sponsor. You know what I mean? Talk to some women. You want to learn how to be a man, and it goes the same way with the women. You want to learn how to be a woman, go to a man. Ask some questions, because the ideas are different. Women taught me how to be the dad I am now, the husband I am now. The women on the program taught me how to be that, because they told me what wasn't okay with them. Anyway, my mother, I, I've had a couple of women sponsors, and it's sad a 52-year-old man still talking about his mommy, but we're going to anyway. And uh, <laughs> one time my mother gave me clothes for Christmas, and I don't even know where they find this crap. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like this Twilight Zone store that only opens every two weeks or something. You know? it's like, so she got me all matching clothes from like 76 or 77, whatever it was. And they were all brand new too, right? And it was a whole outfit. It wasn't just like a shirt and pants, right? You know? And I, so I call her up on the phone. I go, hey, mom. I go, hey, thanks. Thanks for those clothes. Uh, I go, they were all mediums. And she goes, that's the size you should be wearing, fatso. <laughs> so crazy, you know what I mean? My mother will fight the police for me as long as she can say something shitty in the afternoon. But anyway, so, so I'm living at my mother's house. And here's how I ended up here with you guys. Here's how I ended up here. A buddy of mine got busted on a cocaine trafficking charge. And it was funny. You know what I mean? He got popped on it, and he goes to court. Now, I believe that more alcoholics are created in court than anywhere else in the world. It's not the first drink. It's not the local bar. It's court. It's court. Because hundreds of thousands of us go into court every day, non-alcoholic. And we get in front of the judge. Judge says, Mr. Smith, you're looking at a year's sentence. 
But if you were an alcoholic, you could do a 90-day treatment program. I'm an alcoholic, Your Honor. Right? Everybody is now, right? Not so. Not so. For the new people that stood up, I'm going to do you a favor right now. I am your friend, and I'm going to do you a favor. Uh, let me tell you something. If you're brand new in here, and you're just, when you're brand new, and you're telling us how much you love it, and what a great time it is to be here, it's like, stop now. You know what I mean? We know you're blowing smoke up our ass. We know it, right? It's like my friend Frank Honeycutt used to say, if you're happy to be here, you're too sick to stay, son. You know like, I, I'm just talking when you first come in, right? Nobody's happy when they first come in. Anyway, so... And, and I'll tell you, you might as well tell us the truth from day one because love and tolerance is our code here. You know what I mean? So we have to love you no matter what you say. You can go to a meeting, stand up in the room, flip us all off, and we'll just clap and tell you to keep coming back. <laughs> it's a, yeah, you keep coming back, guy. Yeah, because, and I also found out that no matter what you say in AA, somebody will disagree with you. I don't care what you say in here. They argue these things like the Constitution up in here. It's unbelievable, man. And you could stand at the podium and say, the ocean's wet. Somebody else will stand up and go, not along the edge, it's not. No. No, it's not. Right? It's crazy. Crazy. Because I made that joke about more alcoholics created a court at this convention one time. And afterwards, this dude wants to talk to me, right? And he's huge. And I'm 6'4", 280, and I'm lying about the 280, man. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, and he's huge. And he walks up, and he's got bad tattoos all over him. And he goes, can I talk to you, man? Oh, yeah, what's up? He goes, I did the year, dog. I go, then you're a stupid alcoholic. <laughs> it's like, dude, if you don't got enough sense to cop a plea to stay out of jail, you better come on up in here and start working some steps, bro. Because <laughs> you're going to die out there with that weak game. Anyway, so this is what my buddy says. He goes to court and he says he's got a problem. He did not have a problem two weeks before that. I was getting loaded with him. You know what I mean? There was no problem mentioned. It wasn't like, hey, Jack, you know what? I think I got a problem. Why don't you clean up that last line of blow for us? Why don't you get that? You know, it was like, no, it was like, are you cutting that even, dude? There was no problem mentioned. No problem mentioned, right? But now, because he goes to court, you know, he goes to court and whatever, and, and he's going to looking up doing some county time, now he has a problem. So they send him to a treatment center. And treatment gets up there, and they start healing on him. Whatever those H&I guys are doing up in there, pumping them all full of the spirit, or whatever the hell is going on up in there, right? They start healing on him, and he comes out of that treatment center, and he starts out as a reformer. A reformer. The big book says we're not supposed to start out as reformers, but he did. He came back to Long Beach with his crazy walking hand-in-hand hand with Bill, Bob, and Jesus trip, or whatever's, whatever's going on. And I'll tell you, the big book says all sorts of stuff. Uh, let me, I, I'll tell you one time I was just fooling around, because sometimes I like to read, I actually like to read it, you know, and... Uh, and I was reading it, and I was thinking about, a lot of us, you know, don't really think about the history of the guys that started this program, right? They were hustlers. 
I mean, you, you, you forget that, that we're dealing with alcoholics. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we look at, oh, the saints that started this program. No, no. They were hustlers, hustling, auto polish, and doing whatever, you know, and coming up with all sorts of scams. I hear guys say, we got to get back to old-time AA. Really? Force each other to drink sauerkraut and tomato cocktails? Is that what we're into? Because they used to do that over at Dr. Bob's. They'd feed them sauerkraut juice and shit. This will help them. You know, it's like, really? Let's get back to that. I got an idea what we should have for the banquet tomorrow. Sauerkraut. Anyway, but... So, so they were hustlers. And the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is they wanted to sell this. They wanted to sell it. Bill thought, oh, we can sell this. Because they're, they're coming out of the depression, man. Nobody's got any money. And they're thinking, we got the cure for alcoholism. Let's sell it. We'll sell it. We'll make millions. This is beautiful. They're stoked trying to hustle cash for this. You know, and so, so I'm thinking about them trying to sell it. And you know why they tried to sell it and nobody wanted to buy it. So that's why we got to give it away. But, uh, <laughs> but so I'm reading the book one night and I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm just looking at the book and I'm reading it. And all of a sudden I, I stumbled on to the sales pitch of Alcoholics Anonymous. Like you ever watch those late night commercials on TV and they got Viagra commercials or whatever's going on, you know what I mean? And then they, they, paint this beautiful picture of what's going down, right? So I'm looking at the big book. I go, oh my God, I just found the sales pitch to Alcoholics Anonymous. And here it is right here. Life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Right. Okay, that's fine. I flip a couple more pages, and what always happens at the end of those, like, Viagra commercials? All of a sudden, they start rolling small print real quick. So I flip a couple more pages, and I go, oh, my God, I just found the small print. And here it is. It may mean the loss of many nights' sleep, greater interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money in your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylum. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she's neglected. A drunk may smash a furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he is violent. Sometimes you'll have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, yeah. Hey, the book's loaded with shit like that, man. And, uh, <laughs> and it's funny, I always tell the new guys, yeah, next time your sponsor says, read the book, oh, yeah, give it to me, I'll read it. So anyway, uh, okay, so this is what this guy does. All of a sudden, he's healed up, he's healed up, he's out of treatment, he's going to save the neighborhood, he's got the Bill, Bob, and Jesus thing rolling, he's coming back, who's going to be his first candidate? Me right? My mother's house is stop number one for him. So I get this. Hey, what's happening, bro? He goes, you got a problem, dude. I go, what? He goes, you've got a problem. You're an alcoholic. I go, no, no, I'm not. 
live with my mom. <laughs> so let me tell you what was going on at mommy's house at the time. I had warrants out for my arrest. So what? I always have warrants out for my arrest. I also have people trying to kill me, both real and imagined, going on. Real quick, uh, just on a, on, a, on a serious note, uh, this is all seriousness, I guess. Uh, we are talking about saving our lives around here. Uh, this is something else that was going on at my mom's house. I think when you're brand new and you start waking up and finding out you're an alcoholic, you'll start realizing that you should cross the name Alcoholics Anonymous off the book and put your own name on it. Because here's what was else was going on at my house. I was having trouble with personal relationships. I couldn't control my emotional natures. I was a prey to misery and depression. I couldn't make a living. I had a feeling of uselessness. I was full of fear. I was unhappy. I couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. That's what was going on at mom's house. And besides that, I got a girl pregnant. I said, move in. <laughs> she was one of the many women that I was seeing at the time. I'd had overlapping girlfriends since third grade. I moved her in. At the same time I moved her in, I fell in love with a girl of questionable age. And I took her to Mexico and married her. Yeah, that's where the laughter stops, right there. Right there. That's the end of it, right there. That's what's going on at mommy's house. And this guy's telling me I got a problem. I walk him away from the front door. I don't want my mother to hear talk of alcoholism out there. He says to me, go to a meeting. I go, a meeting of what? He goes, 12-step meeting. Come on down. No. You go down. I saw you get popped. You go. He goes, come to a meeting. No. 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 Dude, no. Come to a meeting. No. Come to a meeting. No. Come on. Come to the meeting. No. Come on, dude. Come to the meeting. Okay. I'll go. Do you want to know why I said I'll go? Because I'm an alcoholic. And I'll say anything to get you to leave me alone. <laughs> Including, I'm Jack Grisham, and I'm an alcoholic. One of the problems I have with Alcoholics Anonymous, and Bill had problems with us. That's why we got the traditions here. Because Bill knew we were going to screw this thing up without some guidance. I mean, could you imagine creating something this cool and knowing you were going to die and leave it in our hands? Seriously. Yes. The most beautiful thing that's been created in America is we're going to give it to the drunks. Let them have No, man. He said, let's make some rules here. You know, <laughs> damn it. Let's protect this thing. Anyway, one of the problems I have with alcoholics, with us, not with the steps, not with the traditions, not with the concepts, with us. We're too quick to get the new man and the new woman to say they're an alcoholic. And we, you get these people saying they're alcoholic and they don't even know what they're saying. And we push them into it. Say you're an alcoholic. Say you're an alcoholic. Don't say addict, goddammit. Say you're an alcoholic. <laughs> push them into it. 
And have you ever been to a meeting where they go around the room and introduce themselves before the meeting starts and a dude's there on a court card? I'm Frank Alcoholic. I'm John Alcoholic. I'm Bud. I'm here on a court card. Woo! The whole room goes crazy. Like a bunch of monkeys let out of a cage. We got one. We got one. We got one. Right? You can just see them just, just going. They're ready. And then when the meeting starts, the whole meeting is dedicated to Bud and his denial. I remember when I, too, came in on a court card, Bud. Oh, the denial I was in. Anyway, let me tell you something. The guy's there because he got a 502. He got pulled over. He got pulled over. He was shooting a game of golf, shot a bad round, stopped at the clubhouse, had a couple of cocktails, pulled out and got popped. Got popped. Got a 502 or whatever the hell they're calling it these days. And he went to court. And Bud was smart enough. When the judge said, you're looking at a year, Bud goes, I'm an alcoholic, bro. I'll go do some meetings. You don't think Alcoholics Anonymous is a scam? You don't think people use this as a scam? You don't think anybody in court has ever said, I'm an alcoholic, to get out of a sentence? Wake up! Goes on all the time. All the time that goes on. I need help, Your Honor. <laughs> okay, bro. Go here. Not jail. Goes on all the time. Anyway, let me tell you something. The next time that guy's in a room and it goes around the room, I'm Frank Alcoholic, I'm Jim Alcoholic, I'm Bud, I'm also an alcoholic. Now, does he think he's any more of an alcoholic than he was before? No, no. He just wants you to get off his back. Sign my court card, leave me alone. That's what he wants. You know, for the people that are brand new in here, I, I tell you, if you're sitting here and you're in a, you know, we're in an A meeting, you got a lot of alcoholics around you, and you're saying you're an alcoholic. So basically what you're saying is, I have a fatal illness. Fatal means it's going to kill you. Stop worrying about the mole on your back. It's the booze. And not only is it a fatal illness, but it's a fatal illness that only a God experience can arrest. You're sitting in an AA meeting saying you're us, and that's what our literature says. A fatal, a fatal illness that only a God experience can arrest. Do you know how terrifying that is? Could you imagine going to your doctor and giving some tests? I just did it again. Giving tests. When I came in here, I'd go, giving tests. Now I'm 52. It's giving tests. Everything's down. All right, anyway. And I just got married, and my wife has had to pull up every end of me. Go get that checked out. It's <laughs> like, damn it! You know, I went and got a colonoscopy and a one down the throat at the same time. I said, do them both, man. That's <laughs> getting over with. Anyway, but could you imagine? You know, I know it's funny. Being an alcoholic, drinking that colonoscopy juice didn't even bother me. You know what I'm saying? This ain't so bad. <laughs> Why does everyone complain about this shit? Anyway, so, but... Whatever. All right, anyway. But, but could you imagine, given those tests, so you give your test, and then you come back to the doctor three days later, and you say, how'd it go, bro? And he goes, 
No. What do you mean, no? Fatal. What? Fatal, you're done. What, 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 what? Fatal. You don't even need to pay your bill. (laughs) Fatal. You don't even need to put a dollar in the basket. Don't worry about it. Fatal. It's a funny story, but it's true. Do you know there's a story in the beginning of the big book that says that? I'm not even talking about a hidden story in the back. It's up in the front. The doctor says, hey, I don't even like treating people like you. And though not a religious man, I favor prayer in cases such as yours. That is terrifying. If you're brand new rolling up in here saying you're one of us, what you're basically saying is, I got a gun against my head. Trigger's cocked, bullet's in the chamber, the gun's going to go off, and the only thing that can stop this gun from firing is God, and I'm not connected. Terrifying, man. And yet you see these same new people not doing anything about it. Claiming a fatal illness, not doing anything about it. I've been shot at a few times, as you can imagine. And and I'll tell you, uh, (laughs) when you're getting shot at, I don't care how tough the people are around you, how tough they are. When people start shooting, everybody goes down on the ground. And their voices go up like three octaves. Did you see which way it was coming from? (laughs) It's like, it's not till the car drives off, then they stand up and go, I would have kicked his ass, punk bitch. It's like, but when it's going down, man, everybody's on the ground because they think they're going to be killed. They think they're going to be killed, so they hit the ground. A new man or woman comes in here and says, I've got a fatal illness, I'm dying, and I can't stop it. And they're not ducking. They're not getting a sponsor, not getting involved, not looking to the book, not taking a commitment, not treating this like they're going to get killed because they don't really believe it. They don't really believe it. We read in the book, big book, where it says, try to get these guys to believe they're an alcoholic. Go ahead, try it. Try to get them to see it. Impossible. Impossible. I hear these sponsors. There's a lot of sponsor pride in AA, man. And uh, I'll tell you, I hear these guys go, I make my men do a first step. I make them do that first step. Really? You make your man or woman admit to their innermost self that they're an alcoholic. How the hell do you do that? I make my men do a third step. I make them do it. Really. You make your man and woman turn their will in their life over the care of God. How do you do that? Let's send your sponsor to the Middle East. Unbelievable. Let me tell you something. You can have these guys write everything down they want. You can have them write everything down. Oh, go red, write a first step. You go write it down, write it down, write it down. And you see if they all wake up by doing it. See if they all wake up by doing it. Some people write that down or do whatever they're doing. They'll look at it and go, oh my God, I'm a drunk. Somebody else writes it down, looks at it and goes, those cops are pricks. <laughs> anyway. So I tell this guy I'm going to go to the meeting. I turn around. I walk, got an ADD swing with me. I'm in front of my mother's talking to my friend. All right, so I go to walk back into the house and I have a moment of clarity. And I think to myself, man, how often have you been drunk lately? 
Here this guy's telling me I'm an alcoholic. I thought, how often have you been drunk lately? I thought, you know what? I've been drunk every day. Every day for as long as I can remember. I've been drinking, smoking weed, taking pills, little cocaine, whiffing Pam, every day for as long as I could remember. And I woke up just a little bit. And thank God it was only just a little bit. I can't imagine what would happen if you woke up completely your first day in AA. How frightening that would be. Yeah, we got cookie, coffee, and rope for the new man. You can hang yourself now or go one more day, champ. Whatever you want to do here. Because waking up to this is bad news. Sobriety is bad news. Let me tell you something. When the book says half measures availed us nothing, they're not talking about halfway through the steps avail us nothing. They're talking about the first half is stopping drinking. The second half is doing the steps. Half measures, if we just stop drinking, it will avail us nothing. Nothing. Because sobriety for an alcoholic with no program means death. That's what it means. And we will go back or we will kill ourselves without the solution on the second half of that measure. Anyway, I saw the drinking and use and I said, okay, okay, I'll go to the meeting. And the meeting I went to was the Rap Center in downtown Long Beach. My buddy Dickie remember, bad news, man. You know, it was the kind of meeting you push your shopping cart up out front and go inside. It was, you know, one of those, man. And, uh, and my mother found out I was going, right? So she, she's like, gave me some money for the meeting, you know. Uh, Are you going to that A&A, sweetheart? Yes, I am, Mom. Do you want a couple dollars for coffee? I need 40 They got dues down there. <laughs> anyway, so I got, I got two 20s from my mom in my pocket. And, uh, and here's how I roll into my first meeting. I have a pair of ragged old shorts on, these ragged shorts. And I actually still have a square from these shorts. I was sober when I was throwing them out. I thought, oh my God, there they are. So I cut a square out and I saved it. In case I ever get too cocky around here. You know what I mean? I can just look at the square and go, all right, I'm sorry. Anyway, so I got these ragged old jeans on. I got this Dickies work shirt with cigarette burn holes all over the front of it, right? Because I'd be smoking. Now I got to say something to you. So I put my smoke down. And then somebody would come up and go, dude, you're on fire, man. No, no. You're on fire, asshole. You know, just idiot. You know what I mean? Feel free to Google me. You'll find 200,000 pages of idiot all over there. Uh, I did have nice shoes on though. I, I attended my buddy's wedding and I kept the shoes he got for me. And uh, so I had these black shiny patent leather shoes on, you know. And my hair at the time was down to my elbows full of knots and little do I know there's a jolly rancher in the back of it, right? I guess I had been drinking, and then I passed out, and then the rancher just fell out and slid around into the back. And then I got up in the morning and just like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, you know? It's like, rough. And uh, I walk into that first meeting, living at Mommy's, looking like that, warrants out for my arrest, people trying to kill me, pregnant girls here, this here, that here, total mess, all those things and the bedevilments going on. I walk into that first meeting, Loser. 
scumbag. Yep, I know that dude from school right there. And I'm not like you. And let me tell you why I'm not like you. Because I'm a smooth drunk. I'm a Cary Grant drunk, that's what I am. I start drinking and the first place it hits me is right here on the cheeks, right on the top. And they get tingly, tingly right around here. They get nummy right here. Take another drink, I start smiling big. Another drink, I start smiling even bigger. Another drink and all of a sudden I want to wrestle you. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. And, and I'll tell you, the sad thing is, uh, I couldn't see the room. The room was all I saw. I was in a meeting the other day on a little side note. This is something that just happened to me. It was a thought that just came to me. Uh, you know, people say that nothing new is ever done in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's crazy. New stuff comes all the time. We've been sober longer than the guys that wrote the book, man. I mean, they knew everything about alcoholics. We haven't changed in thousands of years. They knew about alcoholics. But they weren't experienced with 40, 50 years of sobriety. They weren't experienced with the kind of family dynamic that we have today. Back when the book was written, it was for upper middle class white dudes. And then they said, no, we got women, then we got black, then we got white, then we got Latino, boom, boom, boom. It started expanding and expanding. Things have changed. We have learned. Yes, they know what we are like as alcoholics, but now we know a lot more about what the journey looks like for a long time. Bill Wilson wrote that resentment was the number one offender. Yes, for the new man, resentment is the number one offender. But what I've seen for the people with long-term sobriety, pride becomes the number one offender. Pride. Anyway, there was a new guy in this meeting the other day, and my sponsor was taking his birthday, and he was 45 years sober. And my sponsor goes, I've been here 45 years. And I saw the new guy's face drop. Shit. <laughs> 45 years? You've been right here. <laughs> I raised my hand and cross-talked him. And uh, I basically said, I've been here for 25 years. And yet, I have not been here. I've been to Buenos Aires. I've been to Sweden, been to Hawaii, been to Canada. I've been all over this world. I've been all over the place. Yeah, I've been here, but I'm not here. Because you're incapable of seeing that there are no walls around this room. You're incapable of seeing the world of the spirit because you have not stepped into it yet. Anyway, at that first meeting, all I saw was the room. I saw that shitty, dingy room. And do you want to know what I heard in that meeting? I heard pride. Pride. Do you know that Alcoholics Anonymous is the only place that besides prison where people try to be the worst? <laughs> Are you aware of that? Do you ever listen in these meetings when you go to them? You hear guys stand up and say, I used to get up at 6.55 a.m. By, by 7 a.m. I've drank five-fifths of booze <laughs> and defecated in my pants. <laughs> and then you get some other guy stand up and go, is that all? I used to get up at 6.55 a.m., drink five fists of booze before 7 a.m., defecate in my pants, and then I'd comb it through my hair. What the fuck? It's like, what? What are you talking about? Do you know that men and women in here wear the word homeless like a badge? I was homeless. 
Men and women in here wear the word convict like a badge. I've been arrested 187 times, dog. Go for 188, champ. Unbelievable and so hurtful and so harming and it doesn't got a damn thing to do with what's going on in here. I got in an argument with this old timer a while back and he was crying about the success rate of AA. I go, bro, don't blame me for that crap. Blame yourself. You sat back here and watched this shit deteriorate. You want to tell me about our success rate? While you sat back in the room watching it go down? I tell you, the reason why most of those guys talk that crap is because they can't talk recovery. That's why they talk that crap. And you can go to any bar around here and hear that same shit. Any bar around here. Do you know if you go to an open meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and make the topic resentment, every hand in the room goes up? Everybody's got something to say? Make it anger. Everybody's got something to say. Make it how crappy our parents treated us. Everybody's got something to say. You go in that room and make the topic, what was it like to read a four-step to another man or woman? Watch how many hands go up. You go in that room and make the topic, what was the hardest amends you have made since you got here? See how many hands in that room go up. And you want to talk about our success rate? Anyway, I heard pride. And I'll tell you, for the guys that have been arrested all those times, and I'm one of you, we need you in here. But not why you think we need you. We need you so when the next guy comes rolling through the door and says, I've been arrested 187 times, you walk up and say, me too. That's where my alcoholism took me. And you share your story. But do you know who else we need in here? We need the person that hasn't been arrested one time. One time. So when that person comes to the door and says, but I've never been arrested, you walk up and say, and neither have I. And you share your story. One is useful to God and our fellows. One is useful to nothing but ourselves. I'll tell you, you know, I got in another argument with somebody about, uh, and it was about this cookie-cutter experience that a lot of people are trying to do in AA nowadays. Have you done this? Have you done this? You haven't thoroughly gone through the book if you haven't done this. Let me tell you something. There is no cookie-cutter experience in AA. If there was, there would only be one story in the back of the book. But there's not. There's a ton of stories in the back of the book. Because we all come to God a little bit differently. Anyway, I listened to that crap and I diagnosed myself non-alcoholic. Non-alcoholic. But I'll try to quit and I did quit. I quit a whole bunch of times. I was always quitting, stopping and starting, stopping and starting, in and out, in and out, in and out, coming late, getting a date, leaving early, in and out, in and out. And on one of these times I quit, I got 30 days. October of 1988, I got 30 solid days. No meetings, no God, no nothing, 30 solid days. And on my 30th day, I got a job as a bartender. Because I thought that'd be a good job. And you know what? Being a bartender is an excellent job. If you have properly worked a first step, being a bartender is a wonderful job. If you have not properly worked a first step, working at Taco Bell is going to be a problem for you. <laughs> going to the market to get a loaf of bread is a bad idea. If you haven't worked a first step, and I hadn't worked one, I just wasn't drinking. And on my way to work, I stopped by a friend's house to pick up some mushrooms for another friend. I was being of service at the time. 
I go to my buddy's house. I go, Lester, what's up, bro? He goes, Jack, how's it going, man? I go, oh, it's going good, Lester. It's going smooth, man. I got 30 days. Everything's good. Mom's good. Underage girl's gone. They're gone. Baby's gone. They moved out. Everything's good. Just got a job on my way to work. Is that your bong? Bam! <laughs> Cunning, baffling, and powerful. Alcohol disguised itself as a skunk bud and hid in this dude's bong. I reach out and I take a bong hit, right? And I love that because the old guys go, is he talking about drugs? No, sir, I am not. Anyway, so... So I reach out and I take a bong hit. Take a bong hit. And I come to with the bong in my mouth. And I think, oh my God, I just took a bong hit. Here I am, I'm sober, I'm sober, I'm sober. I'm stoned, bam, that fast. Do you know that the big book talks about that? It does not say the word bong. You will not find the word bong in the big book. But what it does say that's even more frightening is strange mental blank spots while sober. Not drunken blackouts, sober blackouts. Sometimes I get these new guys and they want to, when they come in, they want to tell me how crazy they are. Like they got to pass a test to get in here. It's like, dude, you're sitting in an AA meeting asking me for help. I know you're a mess. Don't worry about it, bro. Let's just get to work here. And, uh, anyway, uh, and they wanted, they'll go, Jack, I was so crazy. I was so insane. I was sneaking and creeping and going down alleys with my pants down. I hadn't slept in seven months. I was insane. It's like, dude, you're not insane. You are on drugs, sir. God rest, give Mother Teresa speed for two weeks, she'd start building bikes. It's got nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. And as a matter of fact, they can't even find out if you're insane until you're sober. Sober is when you find out you're insane. And if you're struggling with the concept of insanity, switch it with delusional. I'm not fat. These pants are tight. Delusional. I'm not an alcoholic. Those cops are pricks. Delusional. Delusional. Anyway, I take that bong hit. I come to with a bong in my mouth. I think, oh my God, I just took a bong hit. Well, what now? I'm not going back to you guys on one bong hit. I mean, yeah, I surrender. I took a bong hit. I'll be GSR. Whatever you want, right? It's like, no, I don't think like that. My first thought was, oh, bong hit, no big deal. You overreacted. You had 30 days. And anybody that can get 30 days definitely does not have a problem. And I'm starting to get a little dry from the weed. I need a little drinky poo to wash it down. Well, now I'm drinking and smoking weed. Just like Bill was drinking and taking sedatives. Same time. And since I'm drinking and smoking weed, these mushrooms are surely not going to get delivered. I went to work and I was fired. Uh, <laughs> half an hour on my first day, which is not a record around here. I laugh sometimes. I see these guys and they, they're wearing the big medallions and they're peacocking around AA. You know what I mean? Like they want to be king of the drunks or something. Like they want to be king of us. I love that. King of the drunks. Anyway, it's so crazy. Go to a meeting one time and go, yeah, I got fired half an hour on my first day. Somebody else raised their hand and go, I got fired in 15 minutes on my first day. And then someone else will raise their hand and go, I didn't even go my first day. <laughs> Crazy. Whoever would want to be kings of us can have it. And anyway, so, so I, I'm out on the street staggering around and one of you guys sees me. And he says, hey, he was a 12-step guy. And he goes, Jack, can I help you? 
And I'm five grams into a very bad night by this time, right? And I say, yeah, yeah, uh, can you take me to my mom's house? I'm losing it, man. And he goes, yeah, sure. He takes me to my mom's, and when he drops me off, he says, we'll talk tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. I'm like, all right. I get it. I know what we'll talk tomorrow means. We'll talk tomorrow is code word for lecture. It means you're too hammered to yell at right now. I'm going to come back in the morning and yell at you. I mean, even the big book says don't work with wet drunks, right? They tell us, unless the family needs help, don't work with them. Know why? Because they don't know what you're talking about. Have you ever seen two wet drunks trying to help each other? They speak a whole different language, man. It's like the one guy will look, well, that got some two five twenty. Take it back and do it with that. And the other one looks at him and says, not in the moment, we will take it back with you. It's like, what? They don't even know what you're saying, man. Anyway, so the next day, me and this guy are talking nice, 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 nice on the phone. And he's not saying nothing about me being loaded. He's not bringing it up. And I go, dude, man. I go, oh, man. I go, I was hammered last night, huh? He goes, yep. I go, hey. Woo. I go, last night, huh, bro? He goes, yep. What I was waiting for is, Jack, you're a loser. Jack, you're a scumbag. Jack, you're an animal. Jack, you're trash. I've heard it my whole life. Loser, scumbag, animal, trash. And I'm waiting to hear it from this guy because he's a we don't drink and we definitely don't do any mushrooms up in here either. AA guy who has seen me coming in and out, in and out, disrespecting his steps, disrespecting his traditions, taking a dump on the program that saved his life. And I'm waiting to get yelled at and it ain't coming. I go, dude, I, I blew 30 days, man. I go, I got drunk. He goes, yeah, Jack, I know. He goes, you know what? You're probably an alcoholic. And if you're an alcoholic, you can't stop drinking. And if you do stop, you can't stay stopped on your own power. That was the first time in my life I ever heard that. And I wish he was still here, but he is not. Two weeks after that, on November 13th of 1988, he left these rooms, he relapsed, he died that night in the car. That man's name was Don Langston. I owe my sobriety to him. When I turned 15 on this program, I went and laid a chip on his grave, looked down and read his headstone. He was only 21 years old when he died. Here's what I learned. You can come in here brand new, brand new, and I have never once seen somebody walk into these meetings and find the most well-to-do, happiest, adjusted, well-adjusted person in the room and go, I'm not that good. I think I'll stay. They always come in here and look for the lowest they can see, the low bottom, the worst. They go, I'm not that bad. I'm out of here. And they split. If you come in here listening to amounts, listening to these crap stories that you'll hear around here sometimes, you'll walk yourself right out of AA. But if you read page 44, chapter 4, line 4, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says what is and what is not an alcoholic. And it says if you want to quit, can you quit entirely? Entirely. Meaning, ask yourself if you're new, here on a court card, have you ever stopped before? Have you ever woken up one morning and said, I won't do it again? I don't want to do it. I feel like crap. I'm not in. 
Have you ever gone to jail and said, I don't want to be here again? Ever told a wife, parent, kid, I won't do it again? Why couldn't you stay stopped? Why'd you do it again? It's got nothing to do with amount. Do you know there's no difference from a housewife that has three glasses of wine a day? On Tuesday, the kids come home and say, Mom, please, don't do it. We don't like it when you drink. She says, sweetheart, with all the love in her heart, she says, sweetheart, I won't. Mom's not going to do that. The next day, she does it again. Do you know there's no difference between that woman and a bum laying in an alley sucking on a short dog with crap in his pants? It's the same exact disease. Anyway, I'm going to be done here in a... I got sober on January 8th of 1989. I don't know why. It was a Sunday. One more try. One more try coming around here. And I stayed. And it was a year and a half before I really worked a first step. When it transferred from my head to my heart. My friend Joe Millard says, Pity the heart that's slow to learn what the quick mind sees at every turn. You can see this. You can remember words. You can dress as told. Tebow wrote about it. Compliance versus surrender. You can do what you're told, but it doesn't mean you've changed. It doesn't mean it's coming here. You're just following orders. And there's a big difference between following orders and following heart. Anyway, I woke up, and I started stumbling into this God thing. And this is what I want to end with. I got baptized, and uh, I, I, I wanted to get baptized. And I was going from church to church to, see, to go somewhere, right? And I'm looking for what we got in here, but I'm not seeing it. You know what I mean? I'd hear these guys talking about lepers being healed, but that was years ago. I'm like, hey, do you guys got like a new pamphlet out of Jerusalem or something? Do you got, what do you got here? You know what I mean? Anyway, so I'm looking for it and I'm thinking, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I want to be baptized, but I'm just not fitting in. So finally I think, you know what? I'm going to get one of these priests in AA to baptize me. I see them sneaking around here. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to get one of these priests. We'll go up by the coffee barn, get a little dunk or whatever the hell is going on, right? So I come up to my friend, Father Leo, man, and I love Leo, right? And, uh, and Leo's this little Dudley Moore-looking thing. He's only about tit high on me. And uh, anyway, I go, hey, Leo, I go, will you baptize me? He goes, oh, sure, baby. He goes, anybody can baptize you, man. I go, what? He goes, anybody can baptize you. Now, I didn't know that. I didn't come from a religious family. You know what I'm saying? So I'm thinking, well, God, who do I want to baptize me? I sponsor this Jewish guy, Jordan. I'm going to get Jordan to do it, right? It's like we'll get some robes and go out in the ditch or whatever it is, right? And so while I'm thinking this, I start thinking about my little daughter, my small little daughter. I think, oh, my God, the do- my daughter's never been baptized. So I tell my wife, I go, I'm going to go baptize the kid. She's like, what? I go, yeah, yeah. So I get this bowl of water and I fill this water, put water in this bowl and I fill it. And I say, God, please bless this water. You know what I want to do with it. Please bless this water. And I walked into my daughter's room. At the time, she's six years old, laying up on a bunk bed, no teeth, little freckles, cute little blonde, little surfer girl, right? And I go, hey, sweetheart, can I talk to you about God? And she goes, yeah, sure, dad. I go, do you know that God loves you? She goes, yeah, I do. I go, do you know we're all a big family? Yep. Yes, I do. I go, and that's why we bring people into our homes and help them reunite with their family and get them back together and we stick a hand out? Yes, I do. I go, and do you know God loves you? And she goes, yeah, Dad, I know. I go, do you mind if I mark you as one of God's kids? She goes, no, go ahead. So I dip my fingers in the water and I say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I lean down and I give her a kiss and I say, I love you, sweetheart. I go, good night. I turn around to walk out of the room and this little voice says, can I do you? I go, oh, shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I get the bowl out and I hold, I go, get it, get it. You know, and she sticks her little fingers in the bowl and she goes, Dad, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And she said it perfectly. And then she put her hand on my neck and she pulled me down and she kissed me and she said, I love you. Good night. I ended up getting baptized by my six-year-old. The word surrender does not appear in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, not the start, but the word that does appear is abandon, and it's from the French, and it means to derelict. Abandon self. Set it down, turn your back, walk away. Leave it. I have abandoned myself to God since that time, and I love being sober, and thank you for having me. <laughs>